This is Sansuk by Determamphid, Chapter Twenty Three, read by Luke Skywalker's Chanel Boots. A Freron was waiting in Thorin's room when he returned, his arms folded and a ferocious scowl on his young face. Thorin paused as he opened his door and took in his younger brother. Then he sighed and scrubbed his face with his hand, his beard ruffling under his palm. Hello, Nadad, he said. Thorin. Fern greeted him flatly. Then his eyebrows lifted. Are you all right? I am tired. Thorin admitted, and he sat down on his bed and pushed back his hair. His arms felt heavy and sluggish. It has been a rather long day. Watching all those things that I am apparently too young to see, Fern said rather snippily, and his lips flattened into a straight line. Thorin looked up. I am sorry if I hurt you, but I could not allow. Thorin. Even if I was truly the adolescent I was when I died, I was old enough to fight in a war. Freren pointed out, and a little of his hurt seeped into his face. Despite his words, Freren seemed younger than ever and so open, so emotionally unguarded. It made Thorin ache from all the could have beens. Freren lifted his chin, his blue eyes flashing. I think I'm old enough to decide what I can see and not see. True. I am sorry," Thorin said again, and he held out his arm. "It is a compulsion with me. I must always protect you, no matter what. You are my Nadarid. I know, I know," grumbled Freren, but he sat down beside Thorin and allowed him to wrap his arm around his smaller shoulders. "I wasn't going to look at the stupid elf anyway. I wanted to see if Aragorn had any markings. Did he?" No, Thorin said, the men of the West do not practice the custom, though I seem to remember that the Haradrim learned it from the black locks and stiff beards centuries ago. I cannot recall where I read that. Probably one of Balin's boring etiquette books. Probably. Thorin squeezed Freren's shoulders and then looked down at Freren's face. His brother was no longer looking quite so annoyed. And a pensive light had crept into his eyes. I will endeavor to restrain my impulses where you are concerned, though I cannot promise I can contain them completely. That's the most honest answer I've heard from you in a long time," Freren replied with wry resignation. "Thank you, I think." Thorin smiled. Now back to you," Freren turned in the circle of Thorin's arm and fixed him with a serious look. Talk to me. Thorin's first thought was to deflect, to pull up a haughty demeanor and ignore the question, or to answer that he was talking to Freren already. But that was no answer at all, and his brother deserved better from him. He sighed again, and his free hand began to clench upon his knee. It is difficult, he said slowly. Everywhere I turn, everywhere I look. There is something to bring back the memories of the madness. I know how father and grandfather feel now. It is a shameful thing to remember what you became. Freren did not answer, but sat and listened. His blue eyes did not judge at all, and that gave Thorin heart. I, Thorin swallowed. That time, that madness, it was me. No matter how you interpret it, Freren. The duero who was cruel and vicious and full of pride was still me. I can remember holding my hobbit over the battlements and shaking him until his teeth rattled. I remember throwing every chance of peace away in my arrogance. No sacrifice was too much, and no word too strong. I knew beyond all doubt that my actions were right. I thought that all I needed was the will to see them through. He stared at the grate in which no fire burned. What a fool I was! Don't.
don't take all the blame for yourself, said Freren softly. I watched the whole thing, remember? Not a single person acted perfectly. Not a single one. You did offer to negotiate, but Bard would not address your concerns about our heritage and inheritance. He simply brushed away your questions without answering them. The Elven King would not put away his weapons or soldiers. Even your Bilbo didn't exactly cover himself with glory. When he first pocketed the Arkenstone, he meant to keep it, not trade it away to buy peace. He wanted it even though he knew what it meant to the dwarves of Erebor. He knew. You weren't the only one acting foolishly, Thorin. There is enough blame to go around. And that's not even counting the bloody dragon. I understand that. I just... Thorin broke off, and his jaw clenched. Freren scooted closer, tucking his smaller body against Thorin's side and leaning his golden head upon Thorin's shoulder. It is difficult, Thorin said eventually. I'll bet, Freren said, and he laid a hand upon Thorin's arm. Tell me. I wish that it had felt different somehow, Thorin said in a halting voice the words rasping and low in his throat. But I didn't. I felt like me as much as I have ever done. I was myself, and it was only after the madness lifted that I could see how insidious it was, how it had crept up on me unawares. We have always been on guard against the weakness of our line. I saw what it did to Grandfather, how a strong and mighty king who had built such splendor and security, was reduced to staring at his hoard day and night. Little more than a beggar scrambling after a jewel, even as a dragon killed his wife. I knew the dangers and thought myself above them. Freren waited patiently for Thorn to continue, allowing him the time and space to get himself under control. But it is a slow poison, not a fast one, he said and studied his hands to keep from meeting Freren's eyes. He had gained new marks from the tempering process for Bobo's pens, and there was a shiny burn across the pad of his thumb, obscuring the whorls of his thumbprint. It creeps into you, until it is a part of you, and you never realize it is there at all. You cannot fight it with swords nor words. I saw enemies all around me, but I never realized that the true enemy was myself. No, Thorin, Freren whispered, and Thorin shook his head sharply. His brother subsided, but he could feel his reluctance. It took Thorin a few moments to find his next painful words, and his throat tried to swallow them several times before he was finally able to get them out. I hate that I was so weak, he finally rasped. I hate that I succumbed. More than anything, I hate that it was me, that such lunacy can seep into me without my conscious knowledge, until one day I find myself raising my hand against. He stopped and hung his head. His chest ached. Freren squeezed Thorin's arm. You're not seeing the whole picture, brother, he said against his shoulder. You always were a tankard half-empty type. Thorin smiled, though it was humorless. I failed to see how this tankard could ever be filled, brother. See what I mean? Freren nudged him, and upon seeing Thorin's misery, he sagged a little and stopped trying for humor. No, I mean you're not looking at everything together. The world is not black and white. It is not all or nothing. You're focusing so hard on the blackest part that you are absolutely ignoring everything else. Thorin lifted his head. Else? Ferran squeezed his arm again, sharply this time. So, the curse of our line got you, and you acted as many of us have before. Do you consider our father weak, then? He also went mad. Thor nearly threw his brother from him. How dare you! Our father was tortured into madness by Sauron himself. And grandfather? Freren insisted. Is he weak, then? 
His was the gold madness as well, after all. Our grandfather built the richest and most stable kingdom in Arda in a scant one hundred years. He was a king the likes of which we had not seen in millennia. Thorin half rose from his bed, his voice growing louder and more strident. Freren grinned at him. Thorin halted, his blood still hot, before he scowled at Freren and roughly tousled his head. Yes, I take your meaning. Freren's grin did not falter. So, what would you say if I told you of a Duero who built a prosperous life in exile for his people, fought and defeated the enemies of his line, protected our heritage and our history from those who only saw it as meaningless spoils, regained one of our ancestral homes, and fought bravely in bitter wars for another, and set out on a hopeless quest with only twelve other dwarves and a hobbit to fight a dragon. I'd say he sounds like an arrogant sod, Thorin muttered, before sitting back down and pulling Freren close again. I understand what you are trying to do, Freren. Mother has said something similar, as have you. I am not so blind these days, and I see now that my life was not wasted. It is just... No, you cannot understand. You cannot understand the shame of madness, of knowing that you were mad. It is a stain that will never wash clean. You make me sound so strong, and I know that I am not. I can acknowledge my weakness now when it is far, far too late. Rubbish, Freren said, and his voice was growing frustrated. That's rubbish. You are one of the strongest people I know. How many ways do I have to tell you that it was not your fault? Thorin looked down at him, silent. Freren began to list on his fingers, his young voice hot and angry. One, the gold itself. Our line's weakness aside, have you forgotten the other name for it? Dragon sickness. Smaug made our heritage his bed, Thorin. Is it any wonder it mesmerized every single one of your company, half the men in Lake Town, and goodness knows how many elves? Two, the siege? You wanted to negotiate, but, understandably, you wanted the tree shaggers gone. They wouldn't. Three, Bard wouldn't answer a single one of your questions. They wouldn't even put their weapons down. An entire army against fourteen and they knew the bloody dragon was dead. There was no reason to come armed. Four? Stop, Thorne said, his voice cracking. I have heard much of this before. Furin, it does not change the fact that I was mad. I was mad. I cannot even promise that I will never succumb again. That the weakness will not rise up in me, even here in this peaceful and unchanging world. Weak? Thorin, I am about to strike you. Hiding it away, treating it like it's shameful, that's what hurts you, time and again. You would not treat a physical ailment this way. You take care of those the way Fundin taught us to, carefully and properly. But this? You push it away and never acknowledge that it's a part of you, and so when anything happens that reminds you of that time, it cuts you to the quick. Your reaction to Boromir, to Theoden, your face whenever anyone speaks of Bilbo, your refusal to ever work gold or silver again, it all chips away at you and makes you angrier and sadder than ever. But Thorn, you can find a way to live with this. You can. You are strong, and I know you can. How? Thorn asked wearily. I do not want to acknowledge that the gold madness has ever been a part of me. So why would I ever do such a thing? It could just have easily have taken me, you know? Said Fern bluntly. It took every Duero in your company. Talk to them as well. Talk to grandfather and father. You can live with it, Thorin. You just need to learn how. In my wrongdoings? Thorin bent his head, letting his hair spill in front of his face. Am I to live with those as well? Everyone else does, Freren said, 
and his small hand tentatively reached out and tucked a swath of Thorin's hair behind his ear. Then he gently yanked upon one of Thorin's braids. Having done wrong doesn't make you a bad person. Everyone is a mix of the two, and nobody is wholly good or wholly bad. Not even you. Everyone makes mistakes, Nadad. For a very long time, I did not have such a luxury, Thorin said, low and pensive. Yes, yes, I know, I saw. You had to be perfect and stronger than the very bones of the earth. Freren platted clumsily at his face, and then his lips quirked into a grin, his braided cheeks twitching. Is it so terrible to be as fallible and imperfect as the rest of us? Thorin let out a long breath and strangely felt lighter. I suppose not. When did you become so wise, little brother? Excuse me? I've always been the clever one. Don't you remember? Oh no, Thorin, we shouldn't pour curds into the visiting Iron Hills ambassador's bed. Thorin, this will kill us if we use her favorite comb to brush spilled wax from the carpets. Oh please, Thorin, don't challenge the Sons of Fundin to a drinking competition. They're famous for their hollow legs. Ah! Perrin squawked as Thorn leaned over and picked up his smaller brother bodily, hauling him into a headlock and scruffing his golden hair. Thorin! he wailed, and Thorin chuckled. Not fair, not fair, not fair, just because you're bigger? Thorn leaned back. Does it bother you that much? Still? Perrin blew his hair away from his eyes and then sagged. Sometimes, he admitted. I wish I'd grown up. I'm so tired of being the smallest. If I must learn to live with this, Thorin said, and tapped his forehead to Freren's. You can, too. You're still my brother, Freren, even if you are as small as a hobbit or as tall as an elf. I suppose, he mumbled and then glowered up at Thorin. You are still a giant bully. I am reliably informed that no one is perfect, Thorin said, though if you tell anyone I shall be forced to kill you. Ferran chuckled. <laughs> oh, Thorin. Do you think there's actually anyone who didn't already know? Philly wished fervently for his swords, all the skin on the back of his neck prickling with sweat. The creature was as spindly as a spider and as thin as a willow branch, but he could feel the malice in the thing. Wake up, he whispered to the hobbits. Wake up! Frodo and Sam were bundled together in their elven cloaks and were difficult to see in the dark, even for a dwarf. Still, Philly had seen the two pale lamp-like eyes roving over the gullies and crags of the Emin Muil. Such eyes! Who knew how well the creature could see after all those many centuries alone in the dark? <laughs> it whispered, and Philly shuddered. Cautious and precious, more haste, less speed. Where is where is it, my precious? My precious! It's ours, it is! The thieves, the thieves, the filthy little thieves! Curse them! We hate them! Wake up! Philly begged, and he gritted his teeth. The creature was crawling head first down the cliff face like a large, pale thing of insect kind its soft hands and feet finding holds amongst the razor-sharp rocks. It was nearly upon them. Any minute now. In a sudden blur of movement, Sam was on his feet with his hands raised, and in a couple of leaps he was on top of Gollum. Still, he found Gollum rather more than he had bargained for, even taken off guard and by surprise. The creature bit and hissed and spluttered, its long legs and arms winding around him, soft but horribly strong. The long, thin fingers wrapped around Sam's neck and began to squeeze inexorably. Sam butted his head backwards, and Philly cheered aloud as Gollum fell away, hissing again. Sam rolled to his feet and launched, his fists flying. That's it, he crowed. Sam's advantage did not last long. Gollum sprang for him again, cursing and snarling and grasping, a dreadful light in those pale, huge eyes. Sam blanched, but the hands were on him and the two tussled and rolled amongst the rocks. The creature was savage and as slippery as an eel, and the poor hobbit was completely out of his depth. 
Things would have gone badly for the gardener if suddenly there were not a bright little blade flashing in the moonlight. Frodo's dirt-streaked face was grim. Let go, he said. This is Sting. You've seen it before. Let go, or you'll feel it this time. Gollum. The creature's hand slowly raised, long fingers uncurling from around Sam's throat. Then the hate on his face began to crumple into crushing despair and it wailed aloud like an infant. Sam scrambled to his feet to stand behind Frodo, rubbing at his neck. Right, he puffed. Well, we've a pretty opportunity here, I say. Let's tie it up and leave it. But that would kill us! Kill us! Gollum cried, and then he sobbed and gulped noisily in his throat. Cool hard hobbits tie us up in the Cold hard lands and leave us. <clears throat> no, said Frodo, and Feely blinked and turned to the hobbit in surprise. There was a cool, lordly note in the hobbit's voice that he had not heard before. If we kill him, we must kill him outright. But we can't do that, not as things are. Poor wretch. He has done us no harm. Oh, hasn't he? Sam muttered, inspecting a bite on his forearm. Anyways, I'll wager that he meant harm and still means harm if he gets the chance. Throttle us in our sleep. That's his game. No doubt, Frodo said, sting still leveled at Gollum's face. But still, we will not kill him. For now that I see him, I do pity him. Sam stared at Frodo. No, he said flatly. Gollum lifted his head and hope had begun to creep into his face. It made him look less foul and wicked. Something innocent and long-silenced began to ring in his voice as he said, Yes, yes, wretched we are, precious, wretched and alone. Misery, misery. Hobbits won't kill us, nice hobbits. We'll be nice to them if they be nice to us. We will come with them, yes. Find them safe paths in the dark, yes we will. Then his straggly, age-spotted head tipped. And where are they going? In these cold, hard lands, we wonders. Frodo gave him a stern look. You know that, or you guess well enough. We are going to Mordor, and you know the way. <laughs> Gollum said, and cowered, covering his ears with his hands, as if the very name hurt him to hear it. We guessed, yes, we guessed he whispered, and we didn't want them to go, did we? No, precious, not the nice hobbits. Ashes, ashes, and dust, and thirst there is, and pits, 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 and orcs, thousands of orcs. Nice hobbits mustn't go to those places. Nevertheless, to Mordor I must go, Frodo said, and he drew himself up tall. Sam, your rope. Gollum lay quiet as Sam looped the elven rope over his head. The instant it touched his skin, however, he began to wail and scream. A thin, tearing sound, horrible to hear. He writhed and tried to bite at the rope, and cried and howled some more. What on earth is the matter with you? Sam finally exploded. Ninny hammers and noodles, you'll bring every orc from here to bear a door down on us with that racket. It burns! Gollum moaned, and he clawed at the ground. It freezes, it bites. Nasty elves twisted and curse them. Nasty, cruel hobbitses. They visit elves, fierce elves with bright eyes. Take it off us, it hurts us. No, I will not take it off you, said Frodo. Not unless... He stopped suddenly, and a strange expression crossed his face as he thought. Freely frowned. Something strange is happening to you, Frodo Baggins, he muttered. But Mahal save me, I am not wise enough to guess what it is. I smell Gandalf's hands all over this. Frodo fixed Gollum with a stern look, his blue eyes hard and flashing. Freely was abruptly strongly reminded of Thorin in his more kingly moods and conceded that perhaps Cully had a point about the resemblance at times, not that he would ever admit it. There is no promise you can make that I can trust, he told the wretched thing. We will swear 
to do what he wants, yes, Gollum croaked, and his fingers clawed at the earth and at the rope. Swear, said Frodo, eyebrows rising. Gollum looked up, and a wild, strange light was in his face. We will swear to serve the master of the precious, he said, and clutched at Frodo's trouser leg. We will swear on, on the precious. On the precious, Frodo said, soft and dangerous. How dare you think one ring to rule them all and in the darkness bind them. Gollum gibbered and cowered, his hands coming up to cover his face. Still he nodded. On the precious, on the precious, he whispered. Mr. Frodo, no, Sam said, shaking his head urgently. Shush, Sam, said Frodo starting a quick quelling look at the gardener before turning back to the huddled wretch at his feet. Would you commit your promise to that? It will hold you, but it is more treacherous than you are. It may twist your words. Beware. Philly sucked in a breath at the sudden power in Frodo's voice and at the ring of truth in his words. Definitely wizard business, he said to himself, and scratched at his braided mustache. Perhaps Thorin or Thrain will know. Gollum whimpered, but still he repeated, On the precious! On the precious! And what would you promise? To be very, very good, said Gollum, crawling to Frodo's feet and groveling. A shudder ran through Fili, and his lip curled with distaste. We will swear never, never to let him have it. Never! We will save it, but we must swear it's on the precious. On it? <laughs> Frodo's laugh was grim. No, you shall not. Swear by it, rather. I know that game. You only wish to look upon it and take it if you could. Now speak your promise. My promises, yes! Gollum cried and clutched at Frodo's leg again. My promises to serve the master of the precious. Good master, good offices. <coughs> he began to weep and howl, tugging at the rope again. Sam, take it off him, Frodo commanded quietly. We can't trust him, Sam protested, and Philly rather agreed with him. He'll turn on us or run away, first chance he gets. Let's just tie him up and leave him, promise or no promise. No, I cannot break my word to him, Frodo said and he smiled a distant, absent smile, devoid of all warmth. For good or ill, we are bound together now by cords stronger than any elven robe. If you say so, Mr. Frodo, Sam said, and reluctantly he pulled the rope away from Gollum's head. We are going to Mordor, Gollum, and you will lead us there, Frodo said, looking into his eyes. You will take us to the Black Gate. The creature sat stunned for a moment. Then, quick as a flash, he darted away. What did I tell you? Sam said in disgust. Should have known that a creature like that wouldn't stick by his promises. Still, we're shot of him and all now. Frodo looked up at the stony, sharp cliffs that surrounded them and heaved a sigh. Bilbo would be proud, Philly told the hobbit. Then he wrinkled his nose. Thorin would slap you upside the head and call you a dim-witted young fool. Yes, as you say, we're rid of him now, Frodo said with another sigh. Let's get out of this ravine at any rate. At that moment, the balding, straggly head poked out from behind a boulder. Not that way, hobbitsis, Gollum said brightly. His few blackened teeth stood out in a smile. Not that way. Follow us. We know the paths. I found it, I did. Orcs don't use it. Orcs don't know it. They go round for miles and miles and miles. Yes. Very lucky you find us, yes. Follow us. Frodo gave Sam a look that spoke volumes and began to climb the cliff to where Gollum beckoned and grinned. A change had come over the cur the minute the rope had been taken from over his head. He spoke with far less hissing and whining, and he spoke directly to the hobbits and not to his precious self. He cringed and flinched at sudden movements shying away often and hiding. But he was friendly, and indeed painfully eager to please, capering and cackling if Frodo even looked upon him kindly. Philly was repulsed, 
but at the same time an odd surge of grief in his chest gave him pause. "'What manner of creature were you, that fell so far and for so long?' he murmured, studying the thing, the whip marks on its back, the protruding bones. Sam gave the creature a suspicious look as he passed, and Philly felt a certain unity of spirit with the brave little gardener. "'You and me both,' he said fervently. "'Nice hobbit,' said Gollum, crouching and smiling. Sam shouldered his pants and shook his head. "'We're gonna regret this, you mark my words,' he said under his breath. "'Sure as eggs is eggs.' "'Samwise Gamgee, I name you an honorary dwarf for extreme practicality and foresight,' Philly muttered, and he resigned himself to more climbing as the moon slowly slipped through the sky, disappearing behind them as they made their halting way east. The next morning, Thorin awoke slowly and lay upon his pallet for a few moments, staring at the ceiling and letting his mind wander. "'Yes, I will acknowledge my weaknesses, my love,' he murmured eventually, and he smiled at the toss of tawny curls and self-important little sniff that greeted this in his imagination. "'But neither shall I allow them to rule me. I need no longer embody everything we had lost. I may simply be me, as has not been permitted these many years.' and shall find that I am many things, both good and bad, intermingled. Perhaps some of them may even surprise you, my clever thief. His imaginary Bilbo's eyebrow rose, and then the lips tilted and the beardless cheeks crinkled in a grin. Yes, just as you surprised me. Call it my revenge, Thorin chuckled, and bade the memory of his hobbit farewell for the day, swinging his legs over his pallet and stretching. There was a knock at his door. Thorin, are you awake? came the voice of his mother. Yes, he answered, and pulled off his sleep tunic, scratching at his stomach. Freese entered, and then blew out a breath between her teeth. Sometimes I forget, and then sometimes you go and do a thing like this, she said, waving a hand at his torso. I blame that shorn beard of yours. It is far too easy for me to see you as you were. Take pity on your poor mother and get dressed before I begin to feel ancient. He smiled and dragged on a shirt, leaving the neck unlaced and scrubbing a hand through his hair. "'You are forever young and beautiful, mother, even if your hair had turned white. What is it?' She peered at him, her eyes narrowing. "'Well, aren't you in a good mood? Something has happened, hasn't it, Unudoy?' He shrugged. "'We should take advantage of it while it persists. Where are my nephews? I feel the need to scare them out of their wits.' She covered a laugh with her hand. I, that would do it, she agreed, and smoothed back his hair fondly. I haven't seen you so light-hearted since you were young, my steely storm cloud. I do hope it isn't a passing thing. Best not tempt fate. We are long beards, after all. He smiled again, leaning into her hand. So, what brings you here? She sighed, her blue eyes turning away. We have another report, she said, and her fingers sectioned half of his hair and began to weave a workmanlike braid he remembered from long ago. Messy childish games and food in his hair and beard, and Ferran laughing with his mouth full. Philly has returned from his shift and he has... unsettling news. I fear that your good mood will not last long. Let us see, he said, and gently put his hands atop hers, stilling her braiding. Tell me. She sighed once more and looked up at him. Frodo and Sam have found a guide out of the Emin Muyil, she said, the words dragging out reluctantly. They have found and bound Gollum to their service, and even now he leads them towards the Moranon. Thorin's fingers tightened sharply over hers. Gollum. Yes, she said, and shook her head. He was made to swear by the ring, apparently. It is the ring of power, and any word spoken in its name will be binding, he said, frowning. She made an indistinct noise of protest. Oh, now that is exactly the expression I was hoping to avoid, she mourned, and her hand crept up to smooth along the lines upon his brow. Oh, my dear, I am sorry. Not your fault, he said absently, still frowning. Gollum the treacherous, dangerous little beast that Bilbo had outwitted beneath the goblin tunnels. A twisted creature, driven mad by lust for the ring. 
an ancient thing full of wickedness and wretchedness. Gandalf would have us take pity on it, he muttered, and let Frise's hand go. She paused and then resumed her braiding upon the other side of his head. From what Philly tells me he is worthy of pity, she said quietly. It seems that Gollum is not wholly evil. The ring cannot destroy all goodness, only bury it. Thorin's eyes snapped up, and he studied his mother closely. She did not seem to notice, continuing to braid his hair with a preoccupied air. "'Have you spoken to Frerin?' he said suspiciously. "'No,' she answered, tying off his hair with a leather thong and smoothing down the wisps at his temples that shone white and fly away amongst the dark. "'Should I? What has he done now, the little scamp?' Don't call him that, he said instantly, and then cringed as his mother's eyes, piercing and perceptive, bored into his. I mean... Ah, she said under her breath, and then to his surprise, she enfolded as much of him as she could in a hug. Good, she said against his chest, and he brought his arms up to hold her, bemused and lost. Good. What? What is good? he asked. And she chuckled and fondly gave his chest a pat. Just a mother being proud of her boys. That's all, she said, and then smiled up at him. You have recovered from the news of Gollum far faster than I expected. I do not think it has entirely sunk in, he said, and she rolled her eyes. Do not play the innocent with me, my son, she said, and tweaked his ear gently. Something has definitely changed and for the better. Speak to Philly later. He could do with your reassurance. He's abed now, Thorin said, and a flicker of worry for his eldest nephew, so loyal and so brave, brushed at his heart. Yes, his shift ended at dawn. Killy watches now. You had best hurry, Inudoi. Your own begins in less than an hour. Thorin swallowed an oath. It would only see his ear being pinched once more, and began to lace his shirt. Is there other news? he said, business-like once more. Gloin has arrived back at Erebor, she said, sitting down upon the stool before his desk. She began to arrange the clutter upon it absently, setting his brushes in line, putting his beads back into their wooden box carved with bluebells and peonies. About time, he snorted, tugging on a pair of trousers and looking about for his boots. He found one discarded underneath his pallet and sat to pull it on. And how many profitable loads did he find on his journey? About three, your grandfather says, though no doubt he is keeping the best one a secret, she said, and smiled. Ha! <laughs> what else? Your namesake has found his one in a rather dramatic fashion. She picked up a hammer from his table and raised her eyebrows. This does not belong in a bedroom, my young prince. Neither young nor a prince any longer, he retorted, and she waggled it at him. Perhaps so, but I am yet tall enough to reach your ear, my lad. Tools belong in smithies, not sleeping rooms. He blew out a breath between his teeth and strangled another curse. Yes, Ahmad. She looked amused. Oh, such a hardship for you. I am glad you recognize it he said rather haughtily, and spotted his other boot behind the door. Then he blinked. Wait. We Thorin is only thirty-seven. He's but a child. She laughed, and then put the hammer back down on his table with a soft click. Your other namesake, dear. Our self-effacing crown prince has found the courage to speak out to the object of his affections and that particular fiery young Dwerodam has finally realized why she always argues with him. About time, then, he said, and stood. I had best go to breakfast. Is there more? No, she said, although your grandmother has a great deal to say about the ineffectiveness of elves in general. She is less than impressed with the preparations made in Rivendell, and she cannot understand anything of important Lothlorien. Do you know of any more Dueros who speak Elvish? He paused at his door, holding it open so she might exit before him. Perhaps Groin might, he said, 
thinking hard. He was instrumental in maintaining the peace between the mountain and the wood in Grandfather's Day. Ah, well remembered, she said, and led the way towards the great dining hall. I will ask. Poor Ori, if we mangle his schedule any further, I am half afraid he will scream loudly enough to bring the halls down. Nori warned us not to irritate him, said Thorin, and he smiled to himself. She glanced up at him. Good, she said again, an obscure and proud light in her eyes. Then she kissed his cheek and left him to break his fast. The whispers and stares all around him from the other assembled dwarrows had become commonplace by now, and Thorin did not let them disturb him as he made his way to where his brother, cousin, and father sat. Where is grandfather? he asked. Asleep, grunted Thrain. He watched a long time last night. My brother is home, said Oin proudly. The celebration was worthy of observance. I well believe it, Thorin said. I know your family, after all. That's supposed to be an insult? Oin raised his eyebrows and then made a dismissive peh sound between his teeth. Pitiful, my king. I, your pitiful king, snorted Thorin. Do budge over, my pitiful healer, else you will find yourself wearing that porridge and not eating it. Frerin choked around a spoonful, and then looked up at Thorin with dancing eyes. Good, he said. Everyone is saying that to me today, grumbled Thorin, reaching for a bowl. Filling it, he looked over at his father. Where do you watch today? I am at Erebor again, he answered, and pulled at his vast beard ruefully. From what I hear, it is a boiling pot of high emotion right now. Have fun, Adad, said Freren, grinning. I am beginning to feel better and better about Rohan. You just want to see that white lady, accused Oin. I heard you and Ori gossiping about it. Well, so what if I do, Freren said, and he sniffed and bent his head back to his porridge. Thorn bit upon the inside of his cheek and then turned to Oin. You're with us this morning, are you not? Aye, and let's hope there's no damned running, he grumbled. Nori met them outside the chamber of Sansukul. He nodded in greeting, and then gave Thorin a lingering look. All right, boss? he asked. Thorin took his seat, making room for Freren without thought. Yes? Huh, Nori said, and scratched at a braided eyebrow. Good. Thorin stifled a scream of frustration. Why does everyone say that this morning? He muttered. It's the lack of thunderous glower, brother, Freren said, even as the stars rose from Gimlin Zaram to dance their slow, mesmeric steps before their eyes. Everyone is wondering if Mahal has replaced you with another Duero behind our backs. Except me, of course, I know better, he added smugly. Thorin huffed and dug his fingers into a spot on Freren's side he remembered as being particularly sensitive. Freren's yelp followed him into the starlight. When the light faded, Thorin was standing in the great carved expanse of the Golden Hall. He turned around and around, before spotting a low table at one side. At one end, Legolas and Gimli were seated. Bread and meat lay before them on a platter, and Gimli was helping himself, though it necessitated standing on his chair now and again. The elf seemed rather put out at the meat, and was half-heartedly nibbling at the bread. Aragorn was pacing the hall, his hand upon the grip of his sword. At the other end of the table were two children, eating ravenously. Eowyn was crouched beside them. "'That's it,' she said gently. "'Not too fast now, you will be ill. There is plenty.' "'Children,' Thorne said blankly. "'Whose children, and from where?' They're Ohirim, definitely, said Oin, studying them. Look at their hair and clothes. Eowyn stood, and a fury was barely contained in her voice as she said, They had no warning. They were unarmed. Now the wild men are moving through the west fold, burning as they go. Rick caught and tree. Wild men? repeated Freren, confused. Saruman, breathed Thorin. This is the vilest deed yet. To attack children. Perhaps men and wizards don't feel as we do, suggested Nori, but Thorin shook his head. You remember how Boromir spoke of his city? No, men love their children as well, 
and a wizard should know better. You forget how bizarre some wizards are, muttered Oin. The little girl looked up. Where is Mama? she piped, and Eowyn smoothed back her hair, hushing her gently. This is but a taste of the terror Saruman will unleash, came Gandalf's grave voice and he turned to see the wizard seated beside Theoden's carven throne. All the more potent, for he is driven now by fear of Sauron. Ride out and meet him head on. Draw him away from your women and children. You must fight. Theoden gave him a long, old look, and sorrow warred with determination in his face. Thorin abruptly remembered that the man had only just lost his son. Ugh. There is always such sorrow to be found, he sighed. Ferrin stepped closer. Aye, there is, he echoed. But there is still hope, Nadad. Not for Theodred there isn't, said Thorin. For him hope is lost. Who knows where men go after they lose their life's thread, Ferrin said, spreading his hands helplessly. Who knows what Arda Remade will bring for others of mortal kind? Can we leave the grand philosophical questions until after I've eaten? muttered Gimli, and Thorin's mouth twitched. Bakungahelek, my star, he said, and Gimli grinned. Bakungahelek, Mehakel, he replied, toasting him with a raised piece of bread. What are you saying, Mr. Dwarf? asked the little boy with wide eyes. Ah, I am greeting the day in my own tongue, young master, said Gimli. "'smiling over at the lad. "'How would you say good morning in yours?' "'The boy blinked and then became shy at the sudden attention, "'looking down at his plate. "'Legolas laughed. "'You have intimidated him, Gimli,' he said lightly. "'Never have these people seen a dwarf before, "'especially not one with such terrible manners.' "'My manners are perfectly respectable, thanking you kindly,' "'Gimli said rather primly.' Better than yours, anyway, you shameless elf. Now, lad and wee lassie, I didn't mean to frighten you. I promise I mean you no harm. The boy looked up, and his face was lost and overwhelmed. Thorn suddenly saw a boy thrown into the affairs of great lords and strange folk, told to care for his little sister and missing his mother desperately. Brave little fellow, he murmured. Nahubo Nidoi. I like your beard, said the girl loudly and Gimli chuckled. Why, thank you, little miss. It is indeed a very fine beard and the envy of all elves. Why, I dare say the reason this one here always looks so sour is because he wishes he had such a fine beard of his very own. Your people grow some quite decent beards themselves, best I've seen from men at any rate. Your hair, now, that is a very coveted color amongst my people. You'd be counted quite the little beauty, your majesty. She giggled. Not a queen. I'm Freda. Ah, you cannot fool a dwarf. You are a queen, Miss Freda, countered Gimli, smiling. And your brother there is master? Eothane, the boy mumbled, and he looked up hesitantly and his smile slowly tugged on his lips in response to Gimli's grin. However did you get such a way with children, Melonin? Legolas murmured. Remember, my nephew is but twenty-five and cannot be much older than fine Master Eothane here, Gimli said, winking at the boy. Freda giggled again. Twenty-five is a big old man. Not for a dwarf it isn't, Gimli told her. Twenty-five is a little boy, red-headed and rascally and full of mischief and imagination. I dare say Gimish is nearly your height now, Miss Freda, though of course he doesn't have such fine hair as yours. Eothane's brow furrowed. That's a strange name. Dwarves are very, very strange folk, Legolas told the boy solemnly. Eothane stared up at the elf, and then he smiled again. I like you both, he announced, even if you are strange. And with that, he bent to his meal again, helping his sister to cut her meat. Those are fine young dwarflings, said Oin, sadly. How could anyone be so cruel as to take their home and family from them? Children, corrected Nori, ambling over to inspect a tapestry with a critical eye. Ah, you know what I mean. Theoden stood, and resolve was in his face. 
They will be 300 leagues from here by now. Eomer cannot help us. I know what it is you want of me, but I will not bring further death to my people. I will not risk open war. Aragorn paused and turned to him. This is a different tale to yesterday, Theoden King. Open war is upon you, whether you would risk it or not. Theoden's mouth tightened, and he looked sternly upon the ranger. When last I looked, he said with cold dignity, Theoden, not Aragorn, was king in Rohan. Gimli glanced up and then shared a look with Legolas. This is not going to be good, he muttered. The elf nodded slowly in agreement, his shining eyes darting between king and wizard. Then what is the king's decision? Gandalf asked stiffly. Helm's deep, Gandalf spat, charging through the dark corridors, shadows of wooden beams throwing strange shapes over his face. They flee to the mountains when they should stand and fight, Gimli grumbled, stumping along behind the fuming wizard. Beside him, Legolas walked with near-noiseless tread, and Aragorn loped upon his other side. Thorn and his ghostly retinue followed, as close as thought. Who will defend them if not their king? Aragorn grimaced. He's only doing what he thinks best for his people. Helm's Deep has saved them in the past. There is no way out of that ravine, Gandalf said hotly, his staff waving away a horde of attendants that attempted to greet them on their entrance to the richly appointed stables. One look at the wizard's face and they fled to a man. Theoden is walking into a trap. He thinks he is leading them to safety. What they will get is a massacre. You should not discount his fears, Thorin said, and Gandalf's eyes met his. The wizard's face was still angry, but it softened as Thorin went on to say, Gandalf, you fear for the rise and fall of great powers and kingdoms, but he fears for more children like those in the hall, orphaned and destitute. He may not choose wisely, but he chooses for love of them. Gandalf sighed slowly, and then he nodded imperceptibly. Perhaps you have a point, Thorin Oakenshield, but I do not have to be pleased about it, he muttered. Now you understand how I have felt about our every conversation on the way to Erebor, Thorin retorted. Gimli coughed and looked up at the ceiling, his cheeks suspiciously red. Gandalf looked as though he were only just repressing a sharp comment. Theoden has a strong will, but I fear for him. I fear for the survival of Rohan. He gave Thorin a quelling glance before turning to Aragorn. He will need you before the end, Aragorn. The people of Rohan will need you. Aragorn appeared deeply troubled, his eyes shadowed and his breath coming loudly. Gandalf leaned in closer and met the man's eyes. The defenses have to hold, he said firmly. They will hold, Aragorn said in return, his voice quiet but certain. The shining white form of Shadowfax loomed in the stall ahead, and the horse wickered as Gandalf approached. The Grey Pilgrim, that's what they used to call me, the wizard murmured, stroking the arched and proud neck. Three hundred lives of men I've walked this earth, and now I have no time. With luck my search will not be in vain. Aragorn stood aside as Gandalf mounted, and Gimli unlatched the stall gate as Legolas threw open the doors. Look to my coming at first light on the fifth day. At dawn, look to the east, Gandalf said. Then he leaned forward over Shadowfax's neck to whisper in his flickering ear, and with a great neigh that shook the stables, the mighty horse reared and galloped from his stall and through the streets of Edoras, dust flying up underneath his hoofs. There goes the white rider, and may he find hope and bring it back to us, Aragorn said and he bent his head and touched the jewel he wore round his neck. Lighten up, laddie, Gimli said, nudging him. You've still two doughty friends by your side, and we listen to you even if kings do not. Aragorn smiled. That is a comfort, truly. Horohi, Aragorn, Legolas said, and put a fine-boned hand upon the man's shoulder. Come, let us attend Theoden and see what good we may do. If nothing else, Gimli may play nursemaid. Why, you... Gimli puffed himself up indignantly, and then he began to laugh. <laughs> Ridiculous elf. 
I suppose I deserve that for the beard comment earlier. Legolas smiled down at him. How did you say it? Kazad I menu. Gimli snorted loudly, still laughing. <laughs> that accent is still appalling. Well, I have not gargled gravel every day for breakfast in true dwarven fashion. Do forgive me. Legolas' smile broadened as Gimli made an outraged sound of protest. Gravel, he said. Bite your tongue. Then he grinned broadly. I'm a durer after all and wouldn't be caught dead gargling anything less than emeralds, my lad, and don't you forget it. Legolas threw his head back, and the stable hands paused as the silvery sound of elven laughter soared through the air. Oin whimpered, his head falling into his hands. I can never look Balin in the face again, he moaned. Freren sympathetically patted his back. Aragorn glanced between the laughing pair, and then to Thorin's amusement he groaned very quietly. Yes, let's go in again, he said in a louder voice, leading the way. Others around us, yes. Oh, thank Mahal, it ain't just me who notices, Nori muttered, and he strode off immediately at Aragorn's heels. He kept his eyes determinedly fixed away from Gimli and Legolas, and his back was held stiffly. What was that about? Freren whispered. Search me, said Owen, glaring at his nephew. I'll bet my new beads that it has something to do with idiot dweros who scatter secrets like a tree scatters leaves. I'll take that wager, Nori's voice came floating back. That made Thorin's brows rise. So it isn't to do with our secrets, he wondered. Hmm. We'll find out in due time, Freren said, wrinkling his nose. Sometimes I think Nori is mysterious just to keep in practice. Trade secrets, Nori hollered out of sight. Come on, Thorin said, putting the mystery out of his mind. As Freren said, it would come to light soon enough. Theoden was giving orders when Gimli and Legolas rejoined Aragorn in the main hall of Meduseld. The king was standing before the dais, his hand gesticulating as he directed foodstuffs and wagons with fuel and weapons to be sent ahead to the ancient fortress deep in the mountains. Finally, he stopped and lifted his hands. We will ride at first light, he said, and nodded in acknowledgement at the shout of Theoden King that greeted the statement. Eowyn came forth bearing wine, and she handed it to her uncle with shining eyes. Fair to Theoden Hal, she said. Receive now this cup and drink in happy hour. Health be with thee at thy coming and going. Eowyn, sister-daughter, he said gently, before kissing her brow and accepting the cup, drinking deeply. She then preferred it to Aragorn, pausing suddenly and looking upon him with a strange, fade light in her eyes half longing, half resentment. Hail, Aragorn, son of Arathorn, she said. He looked down upon her fair face and smiled absently, and as his hand took the cup from her, their fingers touched, and she trembled. Hail, Lady of Rohan, he said politely, and drank. Oh, that's going to be painful, Nori predicted. Aragorn's got that elf tucked away back in Rivendell, and this lady is a proud one. He cannot hide who he is. Thorin murmured, and she senses it. A lady such as that deserves more than a hopeless love, Freren said hotly, and Thorin looked down at his little brother in surprise. I do not think it to be love, he said eventually. I think rather that she wishes to be Aragorn, not to love him. She sees a legendary and noble leader of men, with all the freedom of a ranger and all the renown of a warrior, descended from the highest heroes possible. She cannot see all the ways in which he is trapped just as neatly as she. Freren wrinkled his nose, and then he sighed. I suppose. Still, she deserves better. Thorn let his mind drift back to missed opportunities and blind ignorance, a love thwarted and ultimately doomed, separated and sundered by time and death. As do we all, brother. Freren's eyes darted to him, and then he leaned against Thorin comfortingly. To my guests, I offer such things as may be found in my armory, Theoden announced. May they serve you well. Aragorn inclined his head politely, though Gimli looked dubious. I doubt I am to find any mail better than that which I wear, forged by my great ancestor under the mountain long ago, he muttered. Theoden apparently overheard him, and he smiled. 
The craft of the dwarves is well known, Master Gimli. Still, perhaps there is something I may offer you. A shield, perhaps, Gimli said after a moment. I have none. It is done, then. I hope you will not be offended, but the only shield we have to fit you was made for me in Thangle's day, when I was but a boy, and bears our sigil of a white horse running against a field of green. Gimli bowed, and Thorin was once again surprised at how curtly and well-spoken his star could be. I am proud, Lord of the Mark, to bear your device, he said in his rumbling voice. Indeed, I would sooner bear a horse than be borne by one. I love my feet better. But maybe I shall come yet to where I may stand and fight. That day is no doubt coming closer, Theoden agreed, and he smiled again, but this time with no humor. Lord, the orders are given, said Gamling, drawing close and striking his chest with his fist. Good, Theoden nodded. Then prepare yourselves. At first light, we ride for Helm's Deep. Author's Note Some dialogue taken from the movies and from the chapters The Taming of Smeagol and The King of the Golden Hall Dragon Sickness Is canon from The Hobbit Also canon is that Bilbo initially took the Arkenstone with less than altruistic purposes and that Bard did not answer any of the dwarves' legitimate concerns Generally, the Siege of Erebor is a giant horrible mess Bluebells Humility Peonies Shame, happy life, happy marriage, 